the workplace of the future. The office verse, as my guest calls it, will disrupt many of today's organizational models. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because the future may very well be an anytime, anyplace world affecting where we work, when we work, how we work. Let's get prepared. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Bob Johansson, is a sociologist focused on top leadership and shape-shifting organizations and associated with the Institute for the Future. Along with his two other fellow authors, his new book, Office Shock, Creating Better Futures for Working and Living, just published back in January of 23, shares how to prepare for the emerging office verse. Nice to meet you, Bob, and welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Great to be with you. Well, it's nice to see you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this topic because, and a hearty congratulations, by the way, for getting um, this book published with my favorite publisher, Barrett Kohler. Uh, <laughs> is, is this your first book with them? No, no, no. This is my sixth. So oh, with Barrett Kohler. Yeah, this with Barrett Kohler. Yeah. So it's my 13th book overall. And I used to work with the big East Coast publishers, but I started working with Barrett Kohler. Uh, I guess it was my book, Get There Early, was the first one. But I've I've done a series of books now, always with the same editor, the founder, Steve Persanti, who is brilliant and is right. the best editor I've ever had by a factor of three. Right. You know, the funny thing is um, you, you bump into a Barrett Kohler author, and as long as Barrett Kohler will have us, um, you don't <laughs> see them moving to another publisher. I, no, I'm also right. a big fan of Barrett Kohler. I have a couple books with him. And right. um uh, and I would never go anywhere. Now, Steve isn't my editor. I, uh, Neil is, Neil Malik. Neil, yeah, he's uh, great too. So I'm going to call him the best in the universe, but uh, okay. we certainly all know Steve, the founder. Uh, okay, so let's let's jump on in. Uh, oh, oh, one last thing. How is it I've never seen you at a Barrett Kohler retreat? <laughs> you know, I think it's because I have such an active community through Institute for the Future. We're the longest running futures think tank in the world. We're based in Silicon Valley and our, our network uh, extends across the world. So I'm just so connected through that network that it's hard for me to it's hard for me to reach out to the Barrett Kohler network of authors, even though I really admire it. And it's uh, it's a great network. I touch base every once in a while, but I'm I'm just stretched in so many ways in the Institute for the Future Vortex. Got it. Well, we're going to take that one offline, but I'm going to twist your arm and get you to the next one. But let's <laughs> let's jump into that book of yours. OK, Office Verse. Um, seems like a sniglet to me. Uh, you familiar with the term sniglet, by the way? <laughs> I can guess. I can yeah. guess. It sounds like a, uh, uh, yeah, a I, I children's story kind of reference. But yeah, it's it's when we have a word that really isn't a word, but it sure should be a word. And like we kind it. of know yeah. what it means. Like my my nephew one time, we had a puppy that was, you know, kind of gnawing on his gnawing and chewing. And he said that Shannon was the dog. She said, Shannon's being biteful. And I said, now there's a sniglet for you. We all know what biteful means, right? A sniglet. Uh, I love it. Yeah, good. Yeah. That's my word right. for the day. There you go. Well, you've got your your sniglet is office verse. So um, just kind of define out your version of what office verse means. 
Sure. Um, so everybody knows what the office is. That's the physical building. That's the noun. In the book, we start with the noun because that's where most people start. And then we make the noun into a verb, officing, which is really the way we work, the process of working. And then, you know, we're futurists. So we're looking future back from 10 years ahead. If you think future back from 10 years ahead, we're all in the office verse, that kind of archipelago of possibility that includes in-person, includes physical offices for what they're good for, and also has this wild mix of virtual media that we're just beginning to taste. Um, so in the book, we go 50 years back. And fortunately, during the COVID shutdown, fortunately, a lot of work had been done to make media like we're using right now possible. You know, they were kind of ready to go. But if you think 10 years ahead, the media will be dramatically better dramatically better. And that's what we call the office verse. And it isn't it isn't just for offices. If we're talking, we're doing a project now for Walmart, for example, with their world, we call it the retail verse. Um, we work with big manufacturers like Borg Warner and Westrock. We call it the factory verse. Uh, we work with United Way worldwide. We call it the community verse. <laughs> so it, it's really, in some sense, it's applying the metaverse, the next generation of the internet, to whatever your world is, your purpose is, your vision is, your mission is. Um, but we actually got kind of tired of the word metaverse. <laughs> you know, while right. we were while we were writing the book, um, there was a variety of companies, our neighbors in Silicon Valley, who were trying to own the world. And I don't think anybody will own the word metaverse, but it just became kind of a tired argument for us. So we coined the new term office first. Well, I I think you got to I I think you made the right move. Uh, I think it's I think metaverse is a little bit tired to me. Office versus is kind of fresh, and this is a fairly fresh topic because you know I'm I'm still kind of the nine to five you know tidy office kind of cubicle uh, guy, uh, and even though I'm an entrepreneur, I'm assuming that's a thing of the past uh, in this office verse that you're describing. Yeah. Well, I, I think it may not be completely a thing of the past. I think I, I think viewing it as an assumption, that's a thing of the past. So yeah. the whole notion of the traditional office uh, was good for certain things. In-person meetings are better for orientation, for trust building, for renewal, for early stage creativity, for culture building. So there's some things that in-person meetings are really good for. Um, on the other hand, it should be a question asked rather than an assumption made. So instead of assuming that all work is done in the office, you ask the question, well, why an office at all? You know, what's the purpose of our work place or space? And then you design around that. And the good news is we've got this tremendous opportunity, this historic opportunity to rethink how, where, when, and even why, even why we work. Right. Right. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I did a seminar yesterday for a company that does a lot of cold calling. Mm. And uh, and I, I think, you know, where this one's going. Uh, they were telling me uh, it's it's they're doing a lot of cold calling on the phone and they're doing it through email because when they physically go cold calling, no one's there. <laughs> the offices are empty. It's, it's sort of destroying an element of the sales world's cold calling. But he yep. said we were. I was looking out the window at this massive building. He said, "Oh, we've been in there. There's, there it's 
you know, people they come and they go, but it's relatively empty. It's we don't right. we don't even knock on doors anymore. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, you know, one last thing, and and I and I don't want to be old school on you, but you know, I left Xerox thirty years ago, and I had you know my office and my you can imagine thirty years ago at Xerox, and uh, I immediately got an office, and I immediately, uh, and although I could have worked from my home. Because I like the sheer discipline mm-hmm. of going to the office, of of getting dressed, getting in that car. I even said once from old happy days, I'd take Fonzie's garage if I could go outside <laughs> and walk up another staircase and go back in again. But the but but to be away from the distractions, that's yeah. what I liked about an office. Is is that going to? Um, I think it's an option. Uh, And if that's what you require to work well, that's what you should do. Uh, But again, it should be a choice that you make, uh, considering a whole array of alternatives, uh, instead of an assumption that you make that it has to be done. You know, I used to be on the road um, all the time. I used to run Institute for the Future. We were up on Sand Hill Road where the venture capital folks are. Uh, I had a beautiful office looking out over 280 and over the hills. And it was really good for what I was doing then, which was running the Institute. Um, Then I spent um, 10 years on the road uh, doing senior executives talk and talks and mostly on stage. Then COVID hit. Uh, and I was all virtual. So now the metaphor I use is this is my study. I'm on Bainbridge Island in the Puget Sound. I invite people into my study. I've got the easy chair there, kind of inviting them symbolically to sit down with me. I've got the VR goggles on the wall. You know, I write books, so I've got books on the shelves. They're working bookshelves, not just pretty bookshelves. They're things I'm I'm in the books every day. But there's a story. I've got microphones. I've got cameras. I've got soundproofing. I've got a green screen. So I've got, I can do things virtually. And my goal is to be better, to be better than if I was on stage. So you've got to figure out what works for you uh, and then design around that. And the good news is we've got this wide range of options now in the office first where we can do things that have never been done before. So our goal shouldn't be to go back to the office, to go back to the way it was. Our goal should be to be better to be better. And some of that will involve offices. Face-to-face is not going to go away, but we're going to be smarter about choosing when we do it and when we don't. Well said. And you know, I see it in the, I've been a professional speaker for 40 years. I see it in my industry too. I see that Mm -hmm. it's actually a combination and I've got three different major customers pick the same model all at the same time. And I love to tell you this because I'm so sneaky good at selling, but they were the ones who picked it. And what they did was sort of what you're describing. They created a hybrid. They said, listen, we want you live to get the mind share of our group. Uh, we don't want to see that on screen. We want you <laughs> physically here. Yeah. Uh, and sure. I refer to that as as planting the seeds in the garden. In other words, we're going to plant sure. the garden. Uh, but to make a real cultural change, we we in, in the old days with training, we went, okay, here's your two-day workshop. Good luck, Charlie. And I got another town to hit. And all of a sudden, I've got companies saying, now we want 25 (laughs) virtual one-hour programs weekly, every other week, to grow the garden, to make sure that this becomes, we leave the world of training and we make this a cultural shift. And I got to tell you, I'm loving it. Nice. I think that's smart. That's making a smart choice of which medium is good for what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because it, it, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, not being an old timer here, I'm just telling you, it's hard to shift the culture of an organization and get that mind share through a virtual 
conversation. Yeah, you know? that's really right. Uh, and, you know, I'm a sociologist by training. I did my PhD at Northwestern and I was there when the internet first started. It was called the ARPANET in those days. Uh, and the, the challenge is these media, these virtual media, it's not, they're not clean independent variables where you can say, well, video conferencing is good for this or smartphones are bad for that. Rather, it's not only the medium, but it's also your skills in using the medium. So when people say, oh, Zoom is awful, what they really mean is some people run bad Zoom meetings. <laughs> you know, they don't know how to run good Zoom meetings. So it isn't just the medium. It's like people say, oh, PowerPoint is awful. What's awful is bad PowerPoints. Uh, so we, we've got to become skilled. And, you know, I focus on top leaders. Top leaders have to be really good at choosing which medium is good for what. And then when they choose a medium, they've got to be really good at using it. So it isn't just choosing the medium, it's being good at using it. And most of today's leaders, they're really great in person. But when you put them on social media or put them in a Zoom call, they're not so good at all right. because they haven't learned that medium. Now, the right. kids have a competitive advantage. They're much better at digital media than we are, particularly gaming media. Um, right. So, you know, they're going to leapfrog us in the workforce as as these young digital natives and what we call the cross reality natives, the XR natives, those 17 or less. Those kids are going to be more ready for the office verse than those of us who are older than 27, which is the threshold we put for digital natives. Now, I grew up with the Internet, but I wasn't I didn't experience it as a kid. Yeah, I, I love what you just said, by the way. I'm, it really resonated with me just in terms of, you know, as, again, from the presenting side of things, of the, the, the complaints that people have about PowerPoint. And yet, as you say, and you're absolutely right, the fact that they're just overusing it, they're falling in love <laughs> with the bells and whistles, even, even this Zoom that we're doing. And, you know, like most speakers, I went into, you know, got thrust into virtual and mm -hmm. i'm not telling you i was good great the first time but <laughs> i was stubborn I, I i decided oh i'm not putting powerpoint across this whole screen and becoming a postage stamp i'm going to put <laughs> it behind my shoulder like i normally do on a stage so right. i can command the screen but it was a willingness to experiment and sure. um and to i'm i'm looking at you right now uh and folks you're listening to him got a professional mic in front of him he's got a really nice background behind him uh it's it's learning to zoom do zoom the correct way because how many times have you and i spent time looking up somebody's nostrils i call it nostril <laughs> cam by the way because it, the camera is you know below them or you know they're trying to we got to step it up this, this this isn't going away one last thing i'll move off of but i've actually i'm throwing this out builders take this but i'm shocked that builders aren't offering amongst other things a virtual room of some sort when they're building, when they're designing a home it could be the size of a, of a walk-in closet. And I mean, a narrow one, but something that's got it, you know, ethernet get me directly to that router, yep. get me a consistent signal, I mean, yep. good lighting, get good sound. Uh, I, uh, there entrepreneurs take that one, but I can't believe we're not doing more of that because this is where we're going. Definitely. Uh, so my co-author of the Office Shock book, um, Joseph Press, is an architect by training. And I okay. think you're exactly right. We have to design our physical places to do this better and design them better. You know, I don't I don't really like artificial backgrounds because I want to be authentic. I want to bring people into my study. Sometimes artificial backgrounds may be useful, um, but not for me. You know, so yeah. I, I want to really show 
more of myself and bring people right. into to my world. I think we've just got to get good at designing our physical spaces to allow that to happen. I'm starting to see it in homes now, upscale homes. I'm starting to see it in offices. Um, you know, I do a lot of um, virtual events. Sometimes I send one of my young colleagues who really wants to be traveling to be in the room. So I'm virtual and that person is in the room. We've done a lot of that at the with CEO level ga gatherings now. Um, and what I find is the rooms for that are getting dramatically better. Uh, I teach at the Army War College now in Carlisle, uh, and I do it all virtual. I get the new three-star generals their first week in Washington. They read my books like Office Shock. Then we talk about the future of leadership and strategy. They've got rooms where I can see the generals in the room. They've got voice switch cameras. I'm on a big screen. I may have one of my young colleagues in the room as a bridge, but it's much closer to be able to have an interactive experience instead of just seeing this kind of big image on a screen, you know, showing PowerPoints. I want to be able to interact with them. And right. 10 years from now, we're going to be surprised, Rob, that the technology will be so much more graceful. And we're just we're just hinting now with this generation of Zoom and of Teams and WebEx and the like. It's going to look crude 10 years from now. Yeah. Well, I can... I'm I can imagine and I can't imagine it, but yeah, I mean, I, I, we, it's, it's laughable how fast technology is moving, but we just apps that we used five years ago that were mm -hmm. mind blowing to us. In other way, when we had the, the angry birds thing and you know, all that, and now we're like, yeah. angry birds. Well, we, what was that again? That boom, like that. All right, author, get us ready for the future. So what mindset mindset is most important um, for people like me when we think about the future of work? So the mindset is to think future back. Um, most of us are stuck yeah. in the noisy now. Right. And now that the Army War College calls the VUCA world, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So we're stuck in that noisy now. If you want to get out of it, the mindset is to think future back. It's actually easier to think 10 years ahead about the future of work than it is to think about just a year or two ahead. So some of our work has to focus on the now because that's where business gets done. But if you can begin by looking future back, what that helps you develop is the clarity, the clarity of direction and what you want, the strategic mindset that works is be very clear where you're going, very flexible how you get there. Uh, the military calls this, and they're ahead of us in business. The military calls this commander's intent. You want to be very clear about direction, but very flexible about execution. It's not command and control anymore. You know, command and control doesn't work in the VUCA world. You can't just tell people what to do. You have to say instead, I want you to go over there. That's the direction. And then you've got to be very flexible about execution because so much is going to happen in the field and the people in the field, the local people are going to know better how to respond than the top executive. Yeah. The, 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 the struggle I'm having though is, you know, I, I think our instinct is go, go from the present forward. Okay. Right. Our instinct is, and uh, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how I become smart enough to, to, <laughs> understand what's the future is to go yeah. future back. Yeah, no, it's a, it's really good question. Um, so if you're doing strategy, you are going present forward 
And that's not going to change. So I, I think if you're doing a strategy, strategic plan, you right. do focus on the now and then the next and then the future. What I'm suggesting is before you do your strategy, you think future back. So you start from going future, then next, then now. Uh, so in, in a business, McKinsey model is horizon one, horizon two, horizon three. That's fine for stable times. But in VUCA world times, you reverse the order. You go horizon three and then horizon two, horizon one. So for example, if you go 10 years ahead, kind of in our world at Silicon Valley, you go 10 years ahead, what's obvious as far as a direction is we're going to have sensors everywhere. They're going to be very cheap. Many of them will be connected. And some of them will be in our bodies. So probably half of your viewers already right now wear some kind of body sensor. 10 years from now, those same viewers in that same kind of audience, all of them will be wearing body sensors if they want them. And half of us will have embedded body sensors. You know, that's just obvious. <laughs> so, so the question then becomes, well, what do we do with that? You know, how do we get from here to there? How do we design work environments that make creative use and productive use of ubiquitous sensors. Well, give me an example of a sensor. I mean, I, I, I know I've got a phone. I'm assuming that's a sensor. Uh, well, you know, if I put an Apple, it. yeah. Yeah, sure. Maybe. Apple Watch. Apple Watch yeah. is loaded with centers, sensors. Okay. The Fitbit is loaded with sensors. Those are body okay. sensors. Okay. That's, they're sensing your body, your heart rate. It. You're helping you make healthier choices. But sensors are in everything now. So, you know, your smartphone has hundreds of sensors built into it. Okay, I got you. All right, I'm. I'm. I was kind of moving into a sort of a Star Trek mind, going, "What the heck? I'm, you know, <laughs> is there a sensor I'm unaware of?" No, you're absolutely right. And and you know, I'm looking at the um, I forgot what the Apple tags. Yeah, uh, yeah, those are sensors. Yes. Right to put sensors on our wallet, put sensors on right. different things to uh, help them to be, um, so we can find them as well. All right, let's let's try this just for a second. Let let let's let's think future back. And talk to me about uh, in terms of an office, okay? Yeah. The future sure. of an office from future back. How, how, how do you do that? Okay, so that's basically what the new book, Office Shock, does. Okay. We, we began this book during the COVID crisis. We were approached by a large office furniture manufacturer, USM. The CEO called me and said, Bob, when all this is done, I want to start a new conversation about the future of offices. You know, can you write a book that helps us start a new conversation? So here's how you do it. What we say is you want to first ask why an office at all? So we have seven spectrums of choice from the future back. And we're not predicting the future. Nobody can do that. But we're saying here's the direction of change. And here's the seven spectrums of choice you need to make. So we're not telling you what to do. We're just saying you got to choose. So the first spectrum of choice is purpose. You know, why an office at all? And the purpose ranges. It's a spectrum. We use a music mixing board metaphor for those of your audience who are on video. Um, it the book came out in paperback right away because it's it's so timely. And there's an uh, there's a music mixing board metaphor. So those of you who are audio only, it's like a music mixing board, mixing board with sliding scales. So in purpose, it's a sliding scale from individual to collective. And what we suggest in the book is you've got to make seven choices and they're, they're in this order. It begins with purpose. Then you say, what outcomes are you seeking? 
And as futurists, we think the most important outcome over the next day, decade has to do with climate. So what are the climate impacts you're seeking? Then who do you want to office with? How do you create a climate of belonging, a climate of inclusion, a climate of increased equity? Then we ask, how do you want to be augmented? <laughs> because over the next decade, future back, it's obvious that all of us are going to be augmented in some way. The question is how? You know, what can humans do best? What can computers do best? So how do you want to be augmented? Then we get to the time and place spectrum, that spectrum from office buildings to the office verse. And then finally, Finally, we talk about agility. How do you hold it all together? How can you be essentially corporate athletes to bring this office first together to be productive, to have the kind of impacts that you want to have? So that's how you think about it, Future Back, as you apply these seven spectrums of choice. And in the book, we've got a section for individuals, a section for organizations, and a section for policymakers or communities. Yeah. And I think what you're helping me with right now is, you know, I tend to think in black and white. I'm in the <laughs> office. I'm not in the office. And yet right. I described a hybrid uh, um, approach to training that to me is very intelligent. Mm -hmm. And and so it's not quite as black and white as all that. Right. And I think what I hear you saying is, you know, we're going to each person is going to when we think this out is going to figure out their own hybrid approach to this. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. You're and and you know I think the term hybrid is is a temporary term. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to figure out ways to live in that hybrid office. It's not it's not hybrid and done. It's right. hybrid as a prototype for what might be. And you know, at the beginning of COVID, people called it the Great Resignation, and then right. they called it the Great Reset, and now they're calling it Quiet Quitting. We call it the great opportunity. <laughs> it's the great opportunity. And yeah, it's had awful things about it. And yeah, it's been unfair. I'm not at all denying those things, but it's also an opportunity to do it better. It's an opportunity to rethink how we work and, and even how we live. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I'm not going to hold you up too much longer. I love the conversation. I'm really happy I had an opportunity to interview you. One of the things that's the, the, the elephant in the room for me involves interactions yes. um, and uh, and those are precious to me. And as a guy who's 30 years as an entrepreneur, it's the one thing that I miss. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and Zoom's everyone's, you know, I've heard Zoom fatigue, Zoom fatigue. I really wasn't all that fatigued. I'm still not fatigued by Zoom. I, you know, because like you, I set up a very comfortable space. I'm, I'm, I'm lit it up properly. I've got a mic that I trust and like, so I've sort of worked this through. But I worry about that a little bit. Yeah. Speak to that just for a moment, if you would. Sure, it's reasonable to worry about that, particularly with regard to our kids. But I'm I'm really optimistic about young people if, if they have hope. Uh, so hope is a key variable, and that links to purpose, that links to meaning. But I, I do think we're going to get much better at doing human interaction through these multimedia mixes and we human communication is not going to go away. We're still going to get together in person for orientation, trust building and renewal, particularly around food. I, I, I do think that's not going to go away. And it's a really good idea to have meals with people to it's I really like the idea of traveling to see how other people live. I think going out of the country is a really good thing for everybody. So I'm concerned that with the more virtual world, we may have less of that 
again, particularly for our, our young people. But what you need to do, I think once you have the grounding and once you have the relationships, um, virtual media are, are really good at maintaining them if you use them correctly. Um, yeah. But again, we've got to be skilled and then we have to have media that are adapted well to the purpose uh, and the kind of meaning, the sense of community we want to be we want to be building. But I'm I'm really optimistic about that ability. If we can figure out how to how to get young people involved and how to use the technology in a in a human and a humane way. Right. Right. It's almost maintaining certain food to me is almost like a ritual sort of maintaining it that, is. that. Well, ritual. the rituals are really important. Yeah. The rituals yeah. are really important. Yeah. Okay. Last question, I promise, but <laughs> just riddle me this. Okay. Uh, I'm a manager. I've got a team that's, that's, you know, working from home and uh, I, you know, I can't be big brother and track them too tightly. And I, uh, any thoughts in terms of is that going to be more technology of making sure that we've got a a, a team that is spread out all over that's on task? Yes. That would concern me uh, I, if I were managing a big team. Sure, sure. I, I think that's a very legitimate concern, um, but it is manageable. And the man and the way to do it, um, we talk a lot about this in the book, but the you know, summary of the way to do it is be very clear about direction. So in other words, everybody has to know your purpose. Everybody has to know your direction and everybody has to know their role in how to pursue that direction every day, every day. So you should be clear about outcome measures for that. And you should be clear about the discipline of doing that. We we talk in the book about shape-shifting organizations. We reference uh, General Stanley McChrystal, the you know kind of famous four-star, and his concept of team of teams. I've gotten to work with him, and what he what he does as part of his daily discipline is every morning, everybody working for him, wherever they are around the world, is doing a check-in. Today I'm doing this, and here's how it relates to the mission. Now you have to figure out how to scale that. And the bigger you are, the harder it is to scale it. Um, but the key is shared values, shared purpose, clarity of direction, and flexibility of execution. And purpose is really important. So purpose-driven people are happier, they're healthier, and they live longer. Purpose-driven organizations perform better. So if you're working virtually, you need to be purpose-driven. You need to have a very clear mission and purpose. And then individuals have to align with that. And then you have to have rituals of check-in and meaningful engagement that allow people to see they are part of that something larger than themselves. And, and that there is that human connection. So leaders have to be very present um, in virtual spaces, just constantly sort of touching base without being a nag and figuring out how to how to do that. But I believe it is possible. The models are getting really good and the media are getting dramatically better over the next decade. We just have to figure out how to how to use those media, how to use them much better than we do now. Right. Right. And maybe, you know, in keeping with your with your thinking, maybe the future is to stop thinking about pinning somebody down to a desk, you know, at their home from eight to five and be clear yeah, yeah. on tasks and goals, as you say, and allow exactly. people to complete their assignment and stop thinking it has to be 
completed in this box that we're all used to in the past. Exactly. It's it's not a box anymore. It's a full spectrum. Right. Right. And we get to adapt to that now, but we still have to be accountable. So I'm, yeah. I, we just have to figure out a way to do that. Ken Blanchard, who's a fellow Barry Kohler author, oh, yeah. he, he likes to say, catch people doing something well. And, you know, the old fashioned office, uh, the idea at Hugh, Hewlett Packard in the early days was the manager should be able to stand up in the sea of cubicles uh, and see everybody who works for him or her. And it was mostly him in those days. So that that's kind of where we were. What what Ken says is that instead of focusing on catching people doing something bad, catch people doing something well and build on that. And you can do that through virtual media. Yeah, beautiful. He's Bob Johansson. His book is Office Shock, Creating Better Futures for Working and Living, just recently published. And if you're not getting that book, you're a knucklehead. Uh, but you're <laughs> going to get that book. And uh, I'm assuming I already know that book is going to be anywhere and everywhere you want to go online. You're going to find that book. And uh, don't forget that on this show, we don't just get the book and read it. We write a nice review on that book, which we're going to yeah, do. Yeah. I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to have you come in here and listen to you and learn from you. How do people get a hold of you? Thank you, Rob. So um, the Institute's website's the best place to go, and we can flash that at the end. It's Institute for the Future, um, IFTF.org, because we're a nonprofit. And then there's an office shock kind of microsite on the Institute's website. The book's available everywhere now. Um, and I think it's really important to acknowledge my co-authors too. The Joseph, I mentioned the architect, Christine Bullen uh, is an information systems professor. Um, and I'm a humble sociologist. So those are the three pieces you need, the architecture, the digital connectivity and the human perspective. That's the way it looks in the future, folks. You gotta get them all. Uh, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed meeting you and talking to you. And I'm going to still twist your arm and see if I can get you to a Barrett Kohler uh, retreat one Great. time, because I'd love to share a couple, have a ritual with you and share Great. a cup of coffee. But thank you so much. I'm really grateful. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everyone. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com. <laughs>